the world of baseball actually is running parallel with the world of the church in this global fast. During spring training, you know, the greatest baseball players in the world go off to really go back to the basics, to know how to hold the ball, throw the ball, hit the ball, uh, all kinds of just really fundamental moves. You've got to think about that. They have to humble themselves to do that, right? They're probably wondering, why do I need to do this? Yet, I know I need to do this because it's made me what I am, you know? But it's always a sacrifice. In a sense, that's parallel to what God is doing with us in Lent, where the global church all around the world uh, that seeks these fundamentals to be restored, they go and they follow Jesus into the wilderness, into the desert again. And uh, this is evoking the spiritual imagination this morning, you see. We need to renew our spiritual imagination where we can actually follow Christ and see him bringing us into this territory. Just like this morning, this psalm was so beautiful, and this is what he wants to do. Happy are they, Psalm 84, verse 3, who dwell in your house. They will always be praising you. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage, right? Pilgrimage. Wow, that was hard. Man, there's a desert. There's a desert in my mouth. And I only took half of it this morning thinking it wouldn't kick in until afterwards, but no, it's already kicked in, so sorry. Pastor on drugs again. But yeah, we're going on a, a pilgrimage. I think it clicked in right there. My brain saw it. Those who go through the desolate valley, those who go through the wilderness, those who go through the desert, right? Willingly. This is a pilgrimage through the desert. That's what Lent is. Every year we need it, just like spring training for baseball players, right? Those who go through this spiritual exercise will find it a place of springs. Springs in the desert. He wants to make springs in the desert. See, that's paradoxical. It's counterintuitive. What the Lord calls us to do is typically counterintuitive. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. And all of the counterintuitive, paradoxical ways of the kingdom that Jesus demonstrated. Death by death, he trampled down death. And they will experience the early rains that have covered it with pools of water, verse 5 says. They will climb from height to height. And the God of gods will reveal himself in Zion. It's a beautiful passage. Just to make note of Hosea 2 this morning in the Old Testament reading, I want to draw our attention once again to what the Lord does in the desert. He's speaking to the people of God. And he says in Hosea 2, verse 14, this is a people who are running away from the Lord, the nation itself, and the Lord is speaking as a husband to them and to us. We're the bride of Christ, right? And he says, therefore, this is the Lord speaking, therefore I am going to allure her, the church, Israel, all of us. He's going to allure us. He will lead us into the wilderness. I will lead her into the wilderness. And what will the Lord do there? Speak tenderly. Speak tenderly to her. That's the voice of Jesus that we want to hear during this time, that tender, 
life-giving voice that typically can't be discerned unless we slow down and drink it in and hear and get quiet and still. And that's what creating these desert-like experiences is like. A desert-like experience is saying, I'm shutting off my iPhone for a moment and I'm going to retreat into the secret place to be with the Lord, to listen to something else other than the physical frequencies that I'm being bombarded by. And that's what we need to escape. It's so funny. when uh, I had a really great time. Thank you all for praying for us and for me on this retreat that I just got back from. Our diocese every year gets together and we have a clergy retreat after the third Sunday of Lent always. And so I flew in Chicago, spent the night at my daughter's house, got to see my gals, and that night my phone just went out, just stopped working, and it wasn't, it wasn't like a dead battery, because it was fully charged. I'd just taken a video of Nova, my granddaughter, and I set it down and I went back over to check it again, you know, I mean, you just constantly checking it every five minutes, right? It's like my right hand. And so I went over and punched it and it was just totally black, and I said, weird. And I plugged it in, wouldn't work, wouldn't take a charge. I plugged it in all night, went back the morning, would not work whatsoever. You know what? The Lord didn't want me to take that on the retreat. I'll spiritualize that. (laughs) Because I'm special. I'm so special that God himself comes down and messes with my phone. I'd rather be a spiritual narcissist. I'm just so special. I am. It's okay. See, it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, the Christian hedonism. It's okay to be a Christian hedonist, right? The chief end of man is? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's it. You got it. That's called Christian hedonism, the love of making God happy and to enjoy a happy God, right? So I guess that's spiritual narcissism. I'm special. It's okay. So we're going to pick up today uh, where we left last week. Basically, it's this. Christianity is most often assumed to be a set of beliefs, according to one's tradition, whereby we sign off on a string of, I believe this and that, right? That's That's Christianity. I believe this and I believe that. To either become a Christian... I believe this or that, to either become a Christian or to join a particular group. And having signed off and taken the class, we're in. We're in. Eternally in. Forever. And I can go on with my life. We are attempting to say this morning that the faith handed down to us by the apostles is not merely a set of beliefs, doctrines, propositions on which to sign off, but an integration of faith expressing itself in a wide spectrum of spiritual practices as demonstrated throughout the New Testament writings. And this is the purpose of Lent, is to explore some of those practices. There's too many to try to focus on. I mean, there's like 32 one another commands. I'd consider those spiritual practices. Love one another, pray for one another, honor one another, submit to one another. All of those one another's that create the kingdom community. Those are spiritual practices. Encourage one another. Support one another. All those things. Comfort one another. 
Those are spiritual practices. And if they're lacking and we're left with a set of beliefs only, that is substandard something, but it's not Christianity. It's not the faith of the apostles. St. Paul concludes that nothing really matters in this life except faith working through love. It's not just faith, but it's faith working through love. And ultimately, what are we talking about with love? Not sentimentality. God. Faith works through God. You know, God's love being expressed through us. That'll keep you in contemplation and... You know, if, if we can get a hold of that. Faith working through love. Wow. I believe this expression is both vertical and horizontal, as the great commandment expresses, to love God with all and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Faith working through love. To love others as oneself requires self-reflection, self-care, and personal sacrifice. Let me say that again. To love others as oneself requires self-reflection, self-care, and personal sacrifice. Or, you know, we'll be fumes, faith working on fumes. You ever had your tank empty? (laughs) Wow! I know what it's like to run on empty. Faith working through fumes. Empty tank. Today's gospel reading, one in which I have chosen apart from the lectionary, begins with a warning from Jesus. Be careful not to practice your righteousness before men to be seen. Okay? He then gives us three spiritual practices to incorporate into our lives. Giving to the poor, fasting, and prayer. Matthew 6, 1-18. through 18. These are all to be done in a worshipful manner before an audience of one in union with Christ in the secret place, he's saying, right? But I want to submit to us that the phrase, practice your righteousness, practice your righteousness needs to be restored. It needs to be restored more concretely as a type of shorthand. Practice your righteousness is a type of shorthand for uniting faith and practice as the as the normative baptized lifestyle that Christianity involving an ever-evolving personal conversion in Christ should not be seen just as a set of beliefs, but as as a set of practices. Now, this is key, man. This is key because so often we consider ourselves just believers and not practitioners. The great divide you healed in that, in that amazing hymn you sang this morning. That's what God's trying to do. He's trying to heal that great divide between faith and practice. Faith and works, you might even be able to say. Faith working through love. Today's New Testament reading from Acts 2, beginning with verse 42, describes the newly born apostolic church. A people, by the coming of the Holy Spirit, turned towards... <laughs> in repentance, turned towards the risen Christ. Turned towards the risen Lord. Written for the benefit of those who come to faith in the millennia to come, a vision of what the one holy Catholic and apostolic church believes and practices. That's a mouthful. Continually, steadfastly, is one translation, 
Another one is they devoted themselves. After hearing the doctrine and the preaching of the resurrection, they responded with practices. That's what faith will do. That's what the real deal will do. That's what the gospel will do. It will cause us to activate. It will cause us to draw near. It will cause us to want to pray and want to be close to God and want to build community and plant churches. That's what the real thing does. And the real thing happened on the day of Pentecost, at the coming of the Holy Spirit. They devoted themselves. I love that. Yaroslav Pelikan translates it like this. They were persisting in corporate habits, wherein Pelican sees as maintaining a continuity with the risen Christ and with the apostles in the communion of the saints. Thus, it is not only descriptive, but it is also prescriptive. As an itemized list, and we're going to get to it, of the criteria by which the church in any age would both preserve and manifest its continuity with the apostles. Our bishop expounded these in his last visit. So I just encourage you to really go back because I'm not going to preach them. I'm just going to read them and just comment on them. But these five practices would be they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to apostolic teaching. What is that? How did the apostles teach? They didn't have a New Testament. The Bible was the Old Testament. It was some 45, 50 years before any book in the New Testament was ever written, right? And so we're looking at 30 A.D., something around there, where the church was, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so basically apostolic teaching for them would be reinterpreting the Old Testament through the lens of the promises fulfilled in Christ crucified and risen. They went back to the Old Testament and they reread it through the lens of Christ crucified and risen, apostolic teaching. But we get so much more. We get the New Testament and we get tradition. We get the patristic writings. We get 2,000 years of church history. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching as a practice. This was a practice to, to say, give me my daily bread. I need I need the truth. I need to love the truth. And they devoted themselves to, it says, the fellowship. The word is koinonia. And it's a new way of life together based based in our new birth into union with Christ. That's what koinonia is. Christ, our elder brother, makes us spiritual brothers and sisters with one another. It's all because of Jesus being that great mediator between the Father and humanity that he unites us as our elder brother with other brothers and sisters who are in Christ. That's koinonia. That's a spiritual relationship that is a mystery. It's a mystery. We hang out with people in this mystery that we would never hang out with without the mystery. That was one of the First staggering revelations that the Lord gave me as a 16-year-old drug, sex, rock and roll guy who came into the church, right? I had a radical conversion, and I wasn't even seeking God. And one of the first things that I noticed when I entered the doors of the church very, very early on is that there was not anybody there like me. 
<laughs> Appalachian Mountains, Baptist Church, Michael Flowers, hair down to here. Before conversion, I would only hang out with dope-smoking hippies. I mean, that was it. I was limited before conversion. But after Jesus did it to me, I didn't do it to him. He did it to me. After Jesus did it to me. And I wasn't even asking for it, wasn't seeking it, but he did it to me. Has he done it to you? Have you been done? It's called being born again, folks. It's called being regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You must be born again, and you can't do it yourself. And all of a sudden, this regeneration, that which I didn't even have that word. I didn't even know, you know, I didn't even know to pray in the name of Jesus. And nobody led me in the sinner's prayer. I was traveling alone up in a room and uh, went down on my knees and it happened to me. And I walked out of that room, boy, I wish I could say completely transformed, but transformed enough, enough to know that I didn't want to go back to the way I was living and I was going to go hang out with a bunch of hillbillies who loved me so much. That was the thing. You know, I walked in with all my defenses, and Koinonia was there. I met her. It was the church. Her name's Koinonia. I'm in love with Koinonia. Mother Church, the bride of Christ. That was a revelation. Man, started going to Bible studies, hanging out with these guys, just being built up in love. Just, you know, just lost my father at 15. I needed a family, and God put me in a family. Amazing. A mystery. Koinonia. So you start hanging out with people you would never hang out with. You start loving people you'd never loved before. You start serving people that you would never even think of serving or encouraging or praying for. It's awesome. It's the church, isn't it? It's the testimony of this church. It's, I, I mean, I know God has gathered us all in the same manner, and you all know what I'm talking about. Number three, the breaking of bread, the Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper, nurturing our koinonia. See, the, what we do here at the table nurtures this. It's not a separate thing, but it's an outcome of us having a common cup and a common loaf. We're all eating from the, drinking from the same cup and eating from the same loaf because we're all sitting at the same table. That's it. And then, number four, they, were, they devoted themselves to the prayers. To the prayers. And in this context, as you walk through the rest of the book of Acts, you see Peter and John on their way to prayer. And it was a specified time of Jewish prayer, either in the temple or the synagogue. So they were still doing liturgical prayers. And it's plural. It's not to prayer. The prayers. And there's a definite article in front of it in the Greek. The prayers, plural, meaning liturgical worship. Pentecostals worship liturgically. The first Pentecostals did. On the day of Pentecost. They worship liturgically. Can you believe it? Some of you are going like, I don't know about that. But they worship spontaneously too. They prayed up a storm. They prayed up earthquakes. They prayed in a house where the place was shaken. Why do the nations rage, right? Psalm 2. But they're still in the Psalms when that place was shaken. They're in Psalm 2 praying the Psalms. See, 
They had a guide. They they were praying the word. They were making it real because they were living the prophecy of Psalm 2. And they knew it was about them. It's awesome. Number five. It says, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. So number five would be to give generously to anyone in need. So we've got apostolic teaching. We've got the fellowship, the koinonia. We've got the breaking of bread, the Eucharist. We've got being devoted to the prayers. This is a corporate devotion, not just an individual thing. This is a corporate walk. And to give generously to anyone in need, verse 45. Isn't that beautiful? It's a beautiful picture of the apostolic church. Five practices of the apostolic church. This new generosity becomes a powerful, invisible mark of our koinonia. So that generosity is an expression of what's happening with the inward grace. Right? It's the outward expression of an inward grace. And that's what all outward expressions are. Practicing our righteousness, then, is an outward expression of an inward grace. Christ himself, really. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Jesus just coming and oozing out every pore in our skin. I want to frame these five marks of an apostolic church within the spectrum of her practices, her lifestyle, her faith. Her meaning Mother Church. Her faith working through love. There are many more practices found throughout the book of Acts. But for now, let me say that being devoted to such practices is the key to growing in virtue. Virtue. Being devoted to such practices is the key to growing in virtue. That is, to becoming Christ-like. We use this word virtue. It means becoming like Jesus. It means the fruit of the Spirit. Right? It means Christ-like nature. We use the word virtue. Christians took the word virtue and baptized it in the Holy Spirit. To not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Virtue. We submit ourselves to the disciplines of giving to the poor, to fasting, to prayer, to hospitality, Practice hospitality is an actual phrase in the book of Hebrews. Practice it. See, it's a practice. It's a habit. And, man, that's one of the qualifications of an elder, is that he must be hospitable. I mean, that's, it's a practice. Uh, to prayer, to hospitality, to serving others, to employing our spiritual gifts and abilities, to serve and build up the body of Christ. All of these are practices, you see, that build up the body. And build us up, too. Such service is sacrificial. It is. It's sacrificial. There's no way around it. It's like, I love being in this diocese. I love my bishop. I love all the priests and deacons and their wives. I love them. But I didn't want to go to retreat until I ordered the plane tickets and got out of my headspace that is so limited, right? I didn't want to go. I mean, I wanted to go, but ah, it was a sacrifice. It was going to cost money and time, and I had to get in a different headspace and had to leave and leave my dog and my wife and, <laughs> and all of you. 
<laughs> Come on. Have mercy on me. No, and, but you know, the thing is, is that when I got up there, whoa, this is awesome. What am I doing? Not wanting to be here, you know? And then I thought, Michael, just think. If you didn't make the sacrifice, and you just said, eh, I'll just be in the diocese, but won't ever put anything into it, we wouldn't have a diocese. We wouldn't have a diocese. It takes sacrifice. I'm not going to offer God anything that costs me nothing, David said. That's the heart of David. Now, church planting church here. I mean, I just want to encourage you. I, w- I want you to ramp up on this because we've got a lot of journey ahead of us. And some are getting tired. And I would just say, take his yoke upon you and learn from him. He's gentle and he's humble in heart. And he will give you rest. And if you're not experiencing that, you're not walking with him in the way you should be. The invitation is there. And if you're worn out and tired, come to him. He says, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me. Are you coming? Man, we've got some serious business to do. And I just hope that some of us are not taking it too lightly. Because we don't see what's happening beyond the sacrifice we're making. That's the way I felt going to the retreat. That's just the way our minds work. We're fallen. We're sinful. That's why we have to go through Lent. That's why I can speak to you this way, because it's me too. We have to speak truth in love to one another. Then we'll grow up, right? You don't need sermonettes. You want to be a Christianette? Listen to sermonettes. There's plenty of them out there. Go for it. You need mature talk, right? I'm speaking to you as a spiritual father. And hey, man, this is the family. We are a family with a spiritual father. And I have a spiritual father over me. And I just flew up to spend time with him in Wisconsin. You know, these last two times that we have gone, we end with what we call quad prayer. And (laughs) these last two times, they put me with Stuart, our bishop, And two other guys. And it was just, I get to hear him open up his heart and be vulnerable and not be bishop, but say, this is what I'm struggling with. Pray for me. That's our bishop. And really, I hope that that's your spiritual father, because I try to be vulnerable with you, too. You know know that I am not like the symbol of perfection. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. I'm pointing you to Jesus, and I'm trying to draw us all into Jesus. That's my job. It's the gospel. I'm not the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. I just proclaim it. Paul said it's the foolishness of preaching. And everybody said amen. Serious talk for Lent, right? You can handle it. The daily taking up our cross, which Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross every day. There's not a day that you're not to take up your cross. What is it? My cross is where my will and God's will cross. That's what my cross is. It's where my will, I want, I think, I feel, crosses with his will. It's the Garden of Gethsemane, man. That's where we're headed. Holy Week. The Garden of Gethsemane. Where we struggle with the will of God. We're going to enter that garden with him. Because we all struggle with the will of God, you guys. 
I struggle with the will of God. Jesus struggled with the will of God in the garden. We're in good company. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to be tempted in the wilderness, right? This is the thing. Don't be condemned because all of these temptations and things are going through your head that slime you. That's not who you are. It happened to Jesus too. Throw yourself down. Go do this. You know, turn these stones into bread. That was just the beginning of his temptations. You've got to know who you are. And if you don't settle down and get in the word and really claim, this is who God has made me, then you'll forever be tossed and thrown around and kicked around. And you'll believe the lies about yourself. Still, kill and destroy is his job description. And that's who we're encountering and facing off with the word of God during Lent. It is written. I'm not going to get in a dialogue with you, which is my inner chatter. That's the dialogue with Satan. Your inner chatter. And if it's not truth in the word of God, it will take you away, right? So following Jesus into the wilderness... He doesn't get into a dialogue with his inner imaginations. He said, it is written. And he came out in the power of the Spirit. He went in in the power of the Spirit and came out in the power of the Spirit. We can go in in the power of the Spirit and come out in the power of the Spirit. Right in the Holy Week. (laughs) It's awesome. And so the daily taking up our cross is the needed self-denial that produces the virtues, the character of Christ in our lives. From last week, the process goes something like this out of Romans 5, 3 through 5. We also glory in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation and hardship and sacrifice, all of that is tribulation in this sense, produces perseverance, it produces endurance, and perseverance produces character. And character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out, he's poured out the love of God into our hearts, it says, by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Faith working through love, he's poured out the love of God into our hearts, you see. That's how faith works through love. Because the love of God has been poured out into us. And hope does not disappoint us. In the book of Acts it says, It's through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. Good news for those who know the outcome. Overwhelming hope in Jesus Christ. Much tribulation... It gets us to the end of that where hope does not disappoint us because we're living in the love of the Father that's been poured out into our hearts. His love has been embodied in us. And it's almost like if we don't slow down to make a transaction, it's going to be in the savings account, but we'll never actually go to the bank and take it out. And so Lent is a time to slow down and reflect upon and affirm the glorious riches in Christ Jesus that have, that's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given.